1: of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network. Presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris.
0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick Nanavati, and I'm joined today by John Damaris and none other then the Mega Knob Man himself, Liam Hackett. Say hi, guys. Hey, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Today we're here to talk about Liam and his ridiculous orc list from ETC, and I guess most of <laughs> the ITC season. Uh, Liam, why don't you tell us a bit about what is in your orc list?
2: Yeah, so I've been playing this list, as you said, for, for quite a long time. Um, it's a bit left of center, I guess, and I basically traded... Uh, What a lot of people take... I traded all the boys, and I traded them instead for Meganops instead. Uh, Much smaller footprint, uh, a lot more tricks, and I enjoy them quite a lot. So, a basic rundown of the list is, it's the almost obligatory 3 Battalions uh, for Orcs. You need those CP, which I'll get to a bit later on. It's got uh, my Warboss, 2 Weird Boys, and 3 Shock Attack Guns are my HQ choices. I've got 90 Gretchen as my cheap troops, because you pretty much need them to make the Battalions. I've got two units of 10 meganobs, one big blob of 15 tankbusters, which has six bombsquigs, and a unit of 15 looters as well. Uh, each of the battalions is a different clan. The first one, which has my warboss, a weird boy, and all the meganobs, is Evil Suns, just for the uh, plus one advance and charge and move. Um, the looters and the tankbusters and one of the shock attack guns is part of a Bad Moons battalion. Uh, very handy for the shoot twice. And the last battalion, which just pretty much has two shock attack guns and some Gretchen is all death skulls. And that's pretty much it guys.
3: And then what is, what is the death skulls advantage just for those newer listeners that may not know?
2: Yeah. So the death skulls kind of gives me two things. The second thing sounds small, but I've actually used it in quite a few games. So the first thing is, um, it gives you a six up invo and reroll one hit wound and damage roll every time you shoot or fight. Um, the first of which is mainly relevant to the shock attack gun. Uh, when you shoot it, of course, being able to, because you have such a low volume of shots, being able to reroll one hit, one wound, and one damage roll it is pretty substantial. And the second part as well is that it gives you um, objective secured as well, being Death Skulls. Uh, sounds a bit weird, but in quite a few of my games, um, I've done some late game shenanigans with uh, the Death skull shock attacker and and um, objective secured some people off some objectives.
0: Now that's some janky stuff. I'm going to ask a question about the elephant in the room here. Why
2: are there no boys and why are there Mega All right. Okay. Well, um, there's a couple of reasons for this. And the main reason for it was that over time, I kind of started, this sort of started to happen right when the Castellan was the, was the other elephant. When the, the night Castellan with three of invo and stuff was big and scary. I kind of just sort of started to notice that my list needed some melee units that could really punch through bigger targets like knights, um, like other equivalent two up save units, repulses, things like that, that I, I actually needed to hit through. So I started gravitating to the Mega Knobs just because of the volume of power claw attacks, but then I stayed playing the Mega Knobs after I sort of started playing it differently. So I started using the Mega Knobs mainly because I found shooting lists were becoming dominant. And taking meganobs meant I could condense all of my melee damage, so to speak, into a really, really tiny footprint. Footprint that was small enough for me to fit in a magic box, for example, or a little ruin. I can actually fit 10 mega knobs really easily. And it means, unlike taking, you know, 100 boys, which is the equivalent points, uh, where you cannot hide 100 boys in any sort of reasonable table, you can hide meganobs. That's pretty much the only reason. I, I found that it really sort of Helped me in more games than, more games than I initially thought it would against knights, cow, and e- even the new Space Marine stuff that's coming out now. I'm finding it's helping me quite a lot. That's, that's actually really,
0: it. yeah. Go ahead, John. I,
3: I was just going to say that's actually really interesting to me. That uh, one of the core principles of your list is a smaller footprint, which one of yep. the advantages I feel like a lot of Orc players would tell you is that they do board control really well, just because they, you know, get green fat bodies everywhere uh so <laughs> i'm interested to hear some some more about that because that's that's a very different take
2: <laughs> yeah well i think um one of the things one of the things about board presence especially with a, a list like this is not so much where your bodies are but it's where the bodies can reach to so i found um quite consistently on a lot of tables that i played on there was a central ruin or some ruins off to the side and especially in the etc format where um you have a lot of control over placing the objectives. I found that by putting the objectives down in a certain way and by um, taking the center of the board with just a single unit of 10 meganobs meant that despite having less bodies on the table, it sort of forced a lot of my opponents to stay back. So, yeah, it doesn't take up as much room, but the threat of 10 meganobs threatens more things. So, for example, there were units that I found that boys would run into and just sort of ricochet off. So, like, for example, uh, just a Knight Gallant with a 2-up armor save, uh, which is a thing people were taking quite a lot in in my local meta anyway. Um, I found that boys would just be completely ineffectual against that. But because Mega Knobs have such a high volume of, you know, Strength 10, AP-3, Damage D3 attacks, I found that if I could threaten people with one of those units, they tended to play more defensively, stay back, and even sort of allow me to dictate the play a little bit better. And so I think that's kind of how I responded to not having as big a footprint. Um,
0: So you're almost using board control, it's my understanding. Not like I'm on 100% of the board or 50% of the board physically with all my bodies. You're using board control like I have these threat ranges. If you come into this threat range, I'm going to kill you. So you're kind of controlling zones with your threat. Is that correct?
2: Correct. And I think that um, more so than just controlling zones, I'm doing it without sacrificing it. So another thing I found, found about boys, and this is not in any way to say that boys are not a bloody terrific troop's choice. It was just for me personally, I found that um, if I'm zoning out threats with mega knobs and just using the threat ranges, so to speak, I'm not sacrificing anything. If they're just, for example, 10 mega knobs sitting in a ruin, even if I never get to use the mega knob, I can push my opponents off two objectives. I can make them play defensively. I can make them bunch up which comboed incredibly well with the amount of shooting my army has as well. And it sort of all worked together.
0: That makes sense. So it's, you're almost playing your army kind of like the old Castellan and Bulgrin list, where like a Castellan would be the equivalent of your looters and your shock attack guns, and the Bulgrin would be the equivalent of your meganobs. So you're kind of playing Guard Army in disguise. Is that fair to say?
2: <laughs> Pretty fair. I think the, um the main thing about I guess this inadvertent guard stand in army is that the it, it's so much more mobile just because of the, the jump and the ability to deep strike any unit with teleporter. I also found that a lot of my incredibly hard hitting well my main unit that has always pulled through for me, which is the tank busters. And one of the issues with tank busters is of course a 24 inch range. So if you think about the army functioning, if you've got, for example, um, uh, let's say, for argument's sake, like this is pretty much how a lot of my games went. Where I would have uh, turn one, I would de jump a unit of Mega Knobs and take the midboard. Turn two, I would de jump and sort of push them back a little bit further. And then when you're really condensed, turn three, tank busters would come out of reserve or de jump themselves. And then you would sort of have, even if I can't actually eliminate my opponent's screens, you would find them bunching up to avoid getting wrapped or getting That's... killed by Mega Nobs.
0: That's super clever. So yeah, I've I've used units like tankbusters, like obliterators, like grab dev in a pod, that kind of 24-inch deep striking threat. And it's not hard, especially in the longer deployments like hammering, vanguard, search and destroy, etc., to push your scout units, your imperial guard, guardsmen, squads, whatever screens you have out a little bit and keep everything that you care about at least 15 inches from that front line deep in your deployment zone. And when those tank busters or obliterators or whatever come in, they just can't shoot anything of value. So you're almost, you're not trying to clear all the screens before turn three, because that's a tall order and realistically impossible if there's terrain, since you don't have indirect fire and mass. Um, yep. You're just trying to say, you're trying to force the other guy to bunch up to not die to your mega knobs, which innately means he's not screening you out. So the tank posters get to do work. I've used a similar concept way back in the day with Guardian blobs and grotesques, where it's like, if you wanna screen my guardians, you're gonna get grotesque. If you wanna run away from my grotesques, you're gonna get guardians. Same exact thing. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah, and I think it um one thing as well that I you sort of you sort of force your opponent to make hard choices. And I think that's at the core of it what a lot of good 40k armies do. You choose between a rock and a hard place. So, for example, like a, a pretty standard, I guess, matchup for me were, uh, especially for a while there, was the, the Knights, the Guard, and the Blood Angel. And one thing that I guess bothered me quite a lot was that uh, Smash captains can clear 10 Mega Knobs. So I, ha- I had a lot of people who were very, very confident in that matchup. But by putting the Mega Knobs in the midfield, the Guardsmen kind of had to make bad choices because the Guardsmen had to either not be an effective screen or come close and risk getting wrapped. Now, if I put, for example, 20 meganobs and was able to wrap a guard unit, which I've got plenty of practice doing and I'm pretty confident I can do, then even if you commit the one Smash Captain or the Libby Dread, you are very, very lucky, or rather, you're very, very likely to get through a big number of meganobs. But then after that, you've got to deal with the meganobs that got through your lines and into the knights, and it just sort of keeps steamrolling. I found quite consistently that by threatening people with that wrap target, they either stayed back and allowed the tank buses to do a good job or they came forward and just let them anyway, which in a lot of missions where there's progressive scoring or even maelstrom being locked in combat in your opponent's lines. is just a headache for your opponent to deal with.
0: Yeah. That's, that's one of the best ways to just win the mission without doing anything, just trapping someone while standing on objectives. They can't do anything about it. Game's more or less over. How do you handle someone who has flying screen options? Sorry, Nick. I
3: I just want to ask um, a really quick question. Yeah, the the other thing uh that occurs to me is and Liam, you tell me if this is wrong, but the fact that you're doing it with Meganobs, uh a lot of times, you know, people could put something heavy into your boys and like if they get wrapped, if they have a dedicated combat element, go kill them. But like mega knobs don't give two craps. Like you said, that Night Gallant, like he's gonna come in, he might kill a few, and then he's gonna die. So, like, there's not a, um, it's a very effective thing to pin with, or I guess wrap with, because it's, there's there's nothing that really outclasses it punching-wise, uh, it just does too much damage. Does that sound about right?
2: Yeah, that's th- that's pretty much right. And I think one of the key things about um, the mega knobs as well, in terms of their damage output, and wh- what I really enjoy, or one of the things I really like about them is that they work especially well in this army, because... And as I think we'll talk about a little bit later as well, this army is not This is not a melee army, this is a shooting army. This army is shooting and it has the mega knobs for counter charge and board control and threat. Because of that, I found that when I was playtesting with boys, boys need CP. Boys need auto-passing morale, they need um, the CP for green tide rises, which is where you regenerate a whole boys unit. And boys really, really liked it. To fight twice as well whereas i found meganobs to be quite cp independent um only having 10 models and when a model flees not a six you don't flee which is another little trick that they do for the um the gretchen and a few other things as well i found that the meganobs kind of don't need the cp fuel so what that really means is that i can sort of dump all 18 or 17 or whatever i start with cp into all of my shooting units just for the entire game i don't need to budget for other elements that I think most other lists need to.
3: Oh, so you're getting to play more Mordaka and uh, Shoot Twice way more often than other lists.
2: Yeah, so I, for example, um, I quite rarely, I think, now, use uh, more Mordaka and uh, Showing Off, I think, is the Bad Moon Strap. I very rarely use those on the looters anymore, um, j- just for a couple of, re- couple of reasons and what people are playing, I guess, in, in my area and what I versed at ETC. But I find that, for example, um, I get to use Mordaka and shoot twice on the tank busters, and then I get to do that pretty much every turn with my super shock attack gun. Um, and especially in a meta at the moment that I think is evolving towards some very vehicle heavy or, and some very elite armies, being able to fuel that shock attack gun for literally four turns um, is actually quite deadly.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. you basically putting all your CP into your guns uh, since mm-hmm. you don't have to put it into your close combat options. I think that's a really powerful aspect to an arc army. Um, to go back to one of the questions I had before, what if someone was able to screen you out with uh, with flying screens? We talked about how you were able to push the mega knobs forward, which meant that they screened, you get to wrap it. If they don't screen, your Tank Busters get to nuke them. What if they can still push you back without fear of being wrapped because they have things like Venoms or Swooping Hawks or anything like that?
2: Yeah, so I think um, uh, quite a few games where people use like Dark Eldar Boats or a number of units that I fly, or for example um, Wave Serpents, which I'm not sure about overseas, but In Australia, anyway, there was uh, quite a period where, um, especially in Brisbane where I live, where quite a few people were playing a heavy number of wave serpents. Um, I found that that the list struggled, except I sort of found that by taking such a variety of orc units, I kind of always had the tools to answer the questions. So, for example, like um, to give an example, the wave serpent for a second. I found that if I still took the midboard, even though the wave serpents weren't so much afraid of meganobs, I found that the mordaka shoot-twice shock attack guns did an unimaginable amount of work in those games. And I was actually able to pick up one, two, or even three a turn with my shooting. And then, for example, after you do that, they can't really keep the screen up for a reasonable amount of time. Versing Dark Eldar Venoms, the looters or the tank busters do a similar job. If my opponent um, either doesn't have Vect or uses Vect at quite an inopportune time, I can pick up a heinous amount of the Venoms or the Raiders or what have you. And if they do use Vect, they don't have it for later on. You can't really budget for that many CP. Uh, in the Swooping Hawks example, I found that the Mega Meganobs, the Meganob shooting actually were able to clear that screen without committing them. I kind of found that one of the the hardest, I guess, um, games for me was against people who were playing, as you suggested, Nick, Dark Eldar Venoms, but they got all the troops out of the Venoms and sort of just used the Venoms to zone me out, stop me from de-jumping and stop me from getting my tank busters near what was typically um, triple Dissy Ravs, which was in most of the Dark Elder lists that I versed. Um, that, that was challenging.
0: It's funny you say the the challenging one is when the Dark Elders start zoning you out because uh, I often find something similar with genestealer to cult. It's when the Dark Elder army or those armies run straight at you and it's like, oh, I can't come in on the table anywhere besides my own deployment zone. It <laughs> makes it really hard to get out and actually play for objectives and stuff. So it's almost like they're sacrificing their army to make sure you don't score any points on the
2: mission. Yeah, and I think that um, with a lot of different armies that rely on psychic powers to move around the table, or stratagems, um, GSC, orcs, and even some of the new marine stuff as well, like White Scars and Raven Guard. Armies that can take the table really quick, like flyers, do tend to stress you out. And I think that was actually the main reason why I actually included the tank busters was the flyer matchup. I found them an absolute godsend in those sort of matchups. When my melee elements can't pull any weight, I needed that shooting that could actually shift unchargeable vehicles.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to save the match talk for part two, but I guess the tank buses now with Iron Hands being the new hotness and all that, have only gone up in stock. But what made you kind of switch towards them? Was it just the flyer match or were there other reasons
2: too? Um, so there were a couple of things that actually... I- it sort of uh, made me fall in love with the Tankbuster unit. It's my favorite unit in the entire Ork Codex, and my favorite unit in this army by a really huge margin. Is that just because of the squigs? Pretty much. It honestly, don't don't steal my words. That's mean. <laughs> nah, it's, honestly, it's almost 100 So I absolutely love um, having these little 10-point LAS cannon. I would happily take an entire squad just for six of these little buggers. I actually just adore being able to, to jump into safety, into a magic box, into something else, put the bomb squigs out of the ruin and shoot them at things, get a kill point, and then you remove the bomb squigs so your unit can't be shot. Um, John, <laughs> you meant you mentioned that you watched a couple of my games on um, uh, down on the network, um, playing in the finals of the Australian Team Championships when I versed um, Pete Platell and his Centurion Army. I did quite a similar thing. Um, uh, where I deep struck, he had eighteen Devastator centurions. So it was I obviously had to hide the majority of that game. I deep struck all the tank busters, all of the Bomb Squigs were off to the left, and then when you shoot, you shoot them, hitting on twos, rerolling ones because you are bad moons. Such a reliable amount of shooting for pretty much no cost. The main reason why I actually took the tank busters, um, Nick, was that I found I started taking them. Jokes aside, not for the Bob's Quicks. I started taking them because of... So I really found that knights were becoming um, heinously prevalent locally. And even when I went to some big interstate events in Australia, um, like CanCon with a couple of hundred people, I found that just a stupid percentage of the field was knights players. And that's fine if you've got the tools to deal with it. And I felt like my army could fight knights, but they couldn't really punish the knight players. Taking the Tankbusters and having the Tankbusters, the Meganobs, and the Shock Attack Gun kind of means that I have characters, shooting units, and melee units that can all punish heavy vehicles. I think that there were too many matchups where I needed the quality shooting that the Tankbusters have, as opposed to the quantity shooting that looters or flash kits have. And I just kept coming back to them time and time again. I played a few lists without them, um, and uh, every single time I missed having them.
0: So, I've played Orcs before, and I never struggled at all of the night matchup. Now, our lists are very different. I was running a more traditional list. I had like yeah. 110 boys. I had no tank busters. I had no Mega knobs. But I found like I was able to move, block the knights, and just outscore them. I would have a super clawed boss that does four damage running around, just flipping knights himself. Um, usually <laughs> he was good for a night and a half at least. Uh, I just never really struggled with knights. So, I'm surprised you had to tech so hard for. The matchup what kind of what do you th- why do you think that was i guess
2: see i don't think that see i don't think it's fair to say that i tech for night i think that by teching for knights, it also allowed me to tech for about a dozen other options so i found that the tankbusters used i guess alternatively were uh, allowed me to play so many other games and stress opponents out so differently so i, I can list a, a number of different examples uh in addition to nine. So Eldar Flyers. So I play, and my favorite tournament every year is team tournaments, of course. And so most of my singles games are always gearing up for team events, um, especially at the uh, ATC, which is the Australian Team Championships, not to be confused, of course, with the, the American one. Um, we, uh, it's an almost identical format, but we play ETC style missions. Um, I found a lot of my opponents either played Dark Eldar or Eldar, you very rarely had both for a little while um, in one faction. Because of that, I found that Monocraft World flyer lists were still quite strong. The tankbusters allowed me to absolutely dominate those, those opponents. I, I can pick up three to five Eldar planes a turn. You can do some ridiculous stuff with those tankbusters. So uh, the Knights, the Eldar flyers, but then you've also got Admet games with the Castellan Robots where I found I absolutely needed something that could punish vehicles for a single turn to make it so that my Mega knobs and other stuff didn't die. I found that a lot of Dark Eldar games, even if you vecked more I needed the reroll hits against vehicles. There were just too many games where I felt like the... I probably could have functioned without them, but I didn't really see why I had to. Because I don't think I needed more bodies. I don't think I needed more melee threat what I needed was another unit that would stress my opponent out early or mid, mid-game by deep-striking or de-jumping. And that's pretty much what the tank busters gave me.
0: Could the ludas not also serve a similar role? I mean, I imagine when 15 looters shoot with Mordaka, they pick up a plane pretty much unless you roll one shot, but you have CP for that. So realistically, they'll also pick up two planes a turn if they don't have Grot Shield because, like you said, it's a team format and so the Eldar and Dark Eldar are split. Your looters yeah. should just be able to shoot all game and over the course of five
2: turns, that'll pick up 10 tanks. See, I actually found that... um, I actually found in too many of my games that Grot Shield did not do the job that I wanted it to do. So if I had 15 looters behind 30 to 60 Gretchen, I actually found quite consistently that a lot of lists... And again, perhaps this is a design flaw in in the sense that maybe I can't zone out as effectively. But I found too many lists could shift the Gretchen, and then shift the looters inside of two to three turns. I also found something, and this was something that annoyed me quite a bit as well, is that if I'm going to protect looters with Grot Shield, they become a static gun platform. You, you need to keep them still to protect them from Grot Shield. But if you have two shooting threats, so you have the tank busters and looters, you sort of mess with people's target priority. So if you have, for example... A unit of tank busters that's to jumped forwards and is shooting and killing stuff. You c- and especially if the unit is hidden, you actually force units to move and shoot the tank busters, which is a damn shame. They always die. I've almost never played a game where they don't die. <laughs> but you force people to move and react to the tank busters and then kind of leaving the looters alone. I think that there were many games versing Guard, versing Eldar, with Night Spinners, versing- and some of the new Marine stuff too, with Whirlwinds and Thunderfires where people can shift Gretchen and shift looters even through Grot Shield. I can't actually rely on their durability anymore. And that's another reason why I, I went back to tank and looters, because having the two of them, again, makes your opponent make hard choices.
3: It also gives you your list some redundancy, right? So um, I think, tell me again if I'm not understanding this, but uh, looters and, and tank busters, even though they have different shooting profiles, they both can pick up a lot of the same targets um one probably more efficiently than the other and they probably excel in in picking up certain types of targets right lutas are probably better for um less armored stuff because they only have minus one to to sit to ap right but they put out more shots and then the tank busters obviously are better against you know higher higher or better saves but just the redundancy between the two and it's sure they have a a more efficient application, but they also back each other up in their role in the army so that um, maybe they're not as efficient at picking up that secondary role, but they're still good enough to uh, accomplish what you need to accomplish.
2: Uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think one thing as well that kind of I'll circle back to is that concept of redundancy as well. So I think a lot of Orglyphs build redundancy into themselves by taking a lot of very similar units, a lot of boys, a lot of mech guns, and before the FAQ, a lot of looters as well, with Gretchen. So one thing that's very, very important to this list, I find, is that it does not play as aggressively as it appears. It's actually quite a defensive army, using those mega knobs to um, zone your opponent out, not physically, but by the threat, um, and by sort of taking that mid-board. So the tankbusters in many of my games actually did a similar thing. So one thing that I've done quite a few times and I actually did in the ETC singles um, versus one of my Finnish opponent was I put, I, I've done this a number of times, is I put those tank busters in the midfield with a, a jump quite early and deep striker, you know, me- a mega knobs. Now, simply by doing this, and it's kind of cheeky, I know, but you remind your opponent of the grenade strategy that allows every single tank buster to throw a melter bomb. Uh, sorry, I think it's 10 tank busters can throw a melter bomb. So what you do then is if you take, for example, a central ruin, you have an 11-inch aura, in better commas, around that ruin, where if your opponent brings pretty much anything, it doesn't actually have to be a vehicle, within proximity of that, you're throwing 10 D3 LAS cannons equivalent at somebody who comes close. And then you can shoot twice. So you're, you're, you're throwing 20 D3 strength 8, neg 2, D6 damage shots at somebody, which I... F- and it, it happened in this game I'm talking about, where my opponent needed to take the midboard because we put three objectives around that ruin, which is part of what I wanted to do. And when he brought the uh, two of his Imperial Knights close, those tankbusters came out and picked up both of those Knights by themselves in one shooting phase. And that kind of, in of itself... Shows that in that sort of game, they dictated all of the play without me having to sacrifice them. I didn't have to commit a war boss, for example. I didn't have to commit sixty boys to keep the war boss safe. I didn't have to commit the characters to protect and rather make the boys pass morale and advance in charge, and have plus one to hit from a war banner. I didn't have to commit all that. It's just a unit operating on its own.
0: Yeah. So the tank busters kind of serve almost like a, a third mega knob unit in a way in the fact that they, have, they can hide in a, in a box or a ruin or something in the middle and threaten a zone just like the Mega Knobs can, just in a different four fashion. Plus, they can be more mobile because they can jump much more effectively than the Meganobs since they have a 24-inch yeah. threat, not a 12 on the, after jumping in.
2: One other thing as well, Nick, is that I found in a lot of my games, and in particular the Dark Eldar matchup, one thing that the Tankbusters were excellent at doing is baiting out. Um, the vex stratagem because especially when you're targeting um, raiders or ravagers you actually don't need the mordaka stratagem even when you're shooting flyers are hitting on sixes when you're hitting on sixes with full re-rolls you actually do get a reasonable number of hits a lot of the time and i found that the the sheer threat of having such a dedicated anti-vehicle unit made people react very very differently i can't actually tell you the number of times i've played games where People have consistently asked me in every game, Oh, what do tank busters do? What's a bomb squig? Why am I going to die? And I you, you you keep getting these like because I think it it is so different. I asked what's a bomb squig. <laughs> hey man, the bomb squigs did work. They actually picked they up. Did, a they ab-rans.
0: did, they did. They killed like two aberrants.
2: <laughs> no, they did Oh, they did something. <laughs> the, I think as well, um and Nick, again, you tell me if, if I'm wrong here, but I think for the tank busters, for me anyway, they were an absolute gem at ETC because of the terrain. So because of the density of terrain, I played a couple of games where my looters did sweet nothing. They, When I deployed them, sure, I could to jump them, but as I said, if I do that, I then lose my Gretchen screen, and I'm kind of trading my looters for I didn't think the math was worth it. But the tank busters, what I can do a lot of the time, especially against some more melee-centric army, is I can um, jump the tank busters into an uh, opportune place and then have the looters aiming down the table at my own tank busters. So you sort of line up a, a punch them once punch them twice where you shoot them with the tank busters, and then if they retaliate and kill the tank busters, then the looters have line of sight to something.
0: Interesting. That's really clever. I like that a
2: lot. Because I think, again, you, you sort of have the redundancy in this list of having not one shooting threat. I don't want to ever be in a situation where I come up against five Wyverns and I lose my looters, uh, or I just lose my Gretchen and then the looters in a single turn or two, where it, even if I put them in Deep Strike, they will eventually get killed, where instead I can just put the tank busters off the table and not really care about the looters. Another thing as well, and again, you tell me if I'm rambling, but I found with this orc list that because people aren't always used to versing the tankbusters, they overvalued the looters in this list to a really high degree. So a lot of games I played, people would commit so much of their army through Grot Shield, through whatever, to kill the looters, bring all their units out of you know line of sight blocking ruins or whatever just to focus down and kill the looters because of the the sort of post-codex fear of looters that instilled in everyone. And then you would be very, very vulnerable after that to shock attack guns, mega knobs, and, of course, other jumping or deep striking, you know, to tank busters.
0: Yeah, I think you have a good redundancy there. Like, I found the same thing. Sometimes you'll run to those guys, like when I played orcs, um, that just, they're terrified of looters because of stigma or... That actually is really good against their army, whatever it is, and they'll go super far out of their way to kill a unit of looters in the first couple turns, and then they'll get tabled because the rest of the army left un- was left unchecked. And I think your army has the redundancy to the point where it's like you can lose the looters and your army barely loses any efficiency because you have so much other viable shooting in there.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, after I played this army 100, 200 times, you very quickly work out exactly which of the tools my army needs the most in certain matchups. And again, we'll talk about a bit more of that in the, in the second part, as you said. But you'll often play games where you'll know off the bat, hey, I'm going to get more mileage out of the tank busters or I'm going to get more mileage out of the looters. And being able to chop and change. And when you, your opponent thinks you've made a mistake, for example, and they see one of your units is vulnerable, and they pounce on it, and then it puts them in a bad position without me actually losing anything, because I've done that cost-benefit analysis in my head, it actually wins far more games than having, for example, a second unit of looters ever would for me.
0: Yeah, it's something I talk about all the time, and and as a principle I try to practice myself, it's like you don't need to use all 2,000 points of your army in any given game. A lot of times it's more effective to identify which five, six, seven hundred point section of your army happens to hard counter your opponent and then using the other thirteen hundred points of your army to really just make that function in a way. So absolutely kind of like what you're doing. You're you're saying, "Are oh, my mega knobs going to be the MVP here is my tank busters, my looters, is my shock attack guns. And then the rest of your army is just a mechanism to make sure that unit or that aspect really does work.
2: Now, the other really important thing to just be completely honest for a second is I don't want to paint 120 boys. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> what
0: kind of org player oh, are you? Or I just don't want stuff. to do it,
2: man. <laughs> you, you, the- you, literally, you literally saw my Gretchen at ETC. They are sprayed yellow and washed green. I refuse to paint 120 boys.
0: I painted 120 boys in three days. I believe in you. Uh, yes. He's just a, he's a cunning war boss. So <laughs>
3: I, I do have a question. Um, so to me, it, it kind of looks like your list is designed around... Really, what I think is the strength of the Orc Codex, and that orcs are one of the better shooting armies in the game. Like, they tend to outshoot most people, and a lot of people lean into it in different ways. And you're leaning into it with, you know, all this redundancy and shooting. So you're sort of creating a situation where you're like, okay, well, unless you do something, I'm going to kill everything you love because I outshoot you. And so your opponent's like, fine, I'm going to cross the table and punch you in the face. Um, and you're like, well, that's fine. These mega knobs are standing here. And if you come, if you come come at me, bro, like I'm also gonna kill everyone <laughs> you love. So your list is sort of um leading into the strength of your codex or your army, and then you know, it also like counterpunches hard and doesn't have some of the traditional weaknesses. So, like a lot of work lists I see. And, and i've i've experienced this I, i've beaten a lot of orcs with my gray knights because i play like 24 paladins right and those two up saves like they just can't they can't deal with all the like number one i've got a million storm bolters and number two i've got a two plus save so i just tend to win that matchup where you don't give two craps you're just going to kill them all so uh, it's interesting to me
2: and i also found that um for, for example there are undeniably undeniably things that boys are better at killing. like They obviously have the volume of attack, um, and with the ability to fight twice, as all Orc infantry units do, they can shift an unimaginable amount of infantry. But as you just touched on, there are things that, if they get into combat with, they're unlikely to do very much to at all. I found that the mega knobs pretty much threaten every unit in the game. There's very few things that... I'm going to leave Iron Hands alone for a sec. There are very few things that can be charged by 10 Mega Knobs with Warpath and not actually be bothered by 40 strength 10 neg 3 d3 damage attacks. Like it, it, it tends to bother knights. Um, lighter infantry obviously get mulched in smaller numbers, but medium infantry, Terminators, Paladins, as you just said, um, all variety of vehicles, it, the list goes on. So I sort of found that as a, for how I'm using them, as a, as a counter charge and as a deterrent, rather than an aggressive unit, they function far better than boys.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's, it's just like a bulgren unit in a guard army. It's relatively slow, but its job isn't to run across the table and assault people. Its job is to just stand in the middle of the board, control the table, and keep people from coming near your, your guns. So I Absolutely. Think it's a great fix for the for the role you're looking to fill. And it's pretty creative because you you are you still have all the command points from your grots and they dual function as screens as well, and they're a lot cheaper. So it's it's almost like you're obviously not playing a stereotypical orc list, but if you look at orcs from an objective overview perspective and not use looking at orcs with any preconceived notions of what an orc army should look like, which typically is boys. Uh, you might just naturally end up with this army, which I think is really cool that you did kind of in lieu of, or in spite of knowing that an orc army should traditionally run boys.
2: Yeah. And I, I ran boys for some pretty extensive play testing, I guess, and for a single tournament, I played them. And again, as I said, there's no doubt that boys are an incredibly powerful unit. I just sort of found um, again, for me. And one thing you've both said is that orc, the codex, is a massive toolbox. There are very few of the infantry units, for example, that I don't see having some utility. Um, Because of that, I found that a lot of the... I'm just going to call them netlists, I guess, a lot of the very uh, now typical orc army, boys, smasher guns, looters, and so on and so forth, I found a lot of them fell into a bit of a trap of being incredibly powerful, but also not really being... First of all, that adaptable. And also, secondly, you're kind of neutering yourself by taking a lot of the same sort of unit. So you sort of had, for example, uh, a lot of lists that I have versed with my orcs as well, when you have the boys in the smasher gun. If you can just hide from the smasher guns and use the mega knobs to fight the boys, like pretty much one blob at a time, so to speak, you kind of find that they fall on they kind of fall on their butts a little bit just because they're running into two-up saves. But playing my army, when you've got, for example, the, the five key units, so you've got your two units of Mega Nobs, your Tank Busters, your Looters, and the lovable Super Shock Attacker, you've got these five units. And the combination and how you choose to use those five units, I have found almost no matchup that I cannot use those five units in some combination to solve that problem. It's like a math equation. You you literally have all of the tools available to you, use them in a way that suits you. It's a toolbox, Army. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you, um, why do you just not raid smash guns at all, it seems? They're just like one of the most point-efficient models of 31 points of power firing these three shots. Now, I understand why you made number 118. That's a little one-dimensional for what you just described yourself as a toolbox army but you know like six of them seems like a reasonable amount that also adds tools to your toolbox
2: absolutely so i i rate smasher guns very very highly and i don't take them for one one or two reasons that when i tried them i found they just consistently bothered me first of which was the kill point aspect i found that Despite having 9 units of 10 Gretchen that kind of feed kill points against a lot of different armies, you can actually hide 90 Gretchen. It's genuinely not hard to to do. And when you have people choosing between, for example, Tankbusters or mega knobs that are in line of sight, or 10 Gretchen, in a lot of situations, people are going to leave the Gretchen alone. They're not threatening. The problem I found with Metguns is that they are reasonably easy to get kill points, that kind of want to be out in the open because otherwise you've eliminated the point of taking mech guns. And you start sort of bleeding those kill points very, very quickly. I've, not just with my orcs, but with a number of different armies, when I've played against orcs in either ITC or ETC for that matter, I've found quite consistently that having 10, 11, 12, up to 18 mech guns means that I can... Interacting with my opponent from across the table by moving out of line of sight so that only one or two mech guns can see me, killing them, and then sort of not, there's not really any retaliation in a lot of cases. I also, and the second thing that I dislike about mech guns, and please tell me if you think this is unreasonable, I found that in far, far too many of my games, when I played them and when I burst, they take up too much of my goddamn deployment zone. When I'm actually putting mech guns down, when you when you actually put like 15 of these buggers down on the table and then you want to put down 120 boys as well and you also want to put your looters with your 60 Gretchen in an opportune spot, you, you've run out of good spots to deploy your models.
0: Oh yeah, that's a real problem. I think smasher guns are really good and valuable, but I do find them to be a bit of a calculator unit. And by that, I mean, they're really good when you're sitting there at home crunching your numbers and then they fall a bit flat on their face on the table because... Of all the logistical reasons that you just said, yeah. the giving them more kills, the where do you put them, all that stuff. I do like though, so personally aren't Smasher
3: Guns also very static. So your opponent can they have the option to play around them. Like sometimes the board dictates it's gonna be annoying to play around them, but they're in a spot, they have lanes of fire, you know exactly where they are, it's not really changing. Whereas you can de jump those tank busters, you can de jump those ludas. They can hide in magic boxes. I mean, you just have way more, more options, which makes it harder to play around in your list, Liam, than than smasher guns, because, like I said, smasher guns are very static. I mean, they're powerful, but they are they are where they are.
2: I played a couple of times where I subbed out one part of my army for some mech guns, and I think this is because I don't have the boys, for example, um, but couple of times i actually had my opponents getting into my lines and tagging or wrapping mech guns and as you said they're incredibly static but one thing they don't have that every other unit in most orc armies do have is a very important keyword infantry if they're not infantry you can't cast the jump on them which means if your opponent gets in your lines and wraps a mech gun there is nothing you can do to solve that problem especially
0: almost every orc army with my jeans tailor call, is I wrap them up. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and it's, it's how I beat other Orcs with my Orc. Um, uh, case in point, I played Orcs round one of the ETC. I played Italy, and I played their Orc player. And um, he had a large number of boys, I think he had 120 as well. And I pulled them all to one side of the table and then got inside his cookie jar with a second unit of Mega knobs. And that one unit of 10 Mega knobs picked up all 15 of his Mech Gun. Because... They got in there and killed four or five every turn, continuously wrapping a mech gun on the board edge. So he could never leave. He could never retaliate. His shock attack gun never killed them. That's that.
3: Yeah. And once those meganobs get there, like, what's he going to do? He can't charge them with boys and profitably kill them. So, like, they're just going to happily walk through all of those smash guns and profit, I guess, right?
2: So, I think one thing Nick touched on is a lot of Okami do have that um, very important war boss that is able to counteract. That war boss definitely does shift a bunch of Mega Knobs. But the problem, I guess, is that when you are able to get 20 of them into the cookie jar, which is really not that hard to do, um, once you're there, none of the really hard hitting characters shift enough of them to make a difference. Because honestly, if there's five meganobs left at the end of the game five meganobs still chuck out 15 power fist attacks which is going to kill a rhino it's going to kill any character it's going to kill small squads it's going to keep going um so you actually need to deal with all of them.
0: yeah and to go back to the smash the guns just for just one second i think in a more traditional orc army with boys and that kind of stuff instead of meganobs that army lacks ap as a real problem tube saves which we talked about a lot so yep. you need the AP4 that the, the, bu- the bucket of smasher guns brings, just tons of shots at AP4, where you don't care nearly as much for that. You have tank buses at AP2, and you have the Knobs at AP3, and you have triple sag mech for AP5. So
2: you definitely <laughs> Classic shadow something. sword mounted on an orb.
0: Yeah, you definitely <laughs> don't have us an AP problem, which is normal for most dorm- work armies.
2: Yeah, um, I think... You know, one thing that you've highlighted is that there are parts of my army that I guess can be solved in a different way if I had a completely different list from the grassroots up. This list is the product of like a lot, a lot of playtesting and a lot of tournaments and, I guess, a lot of thinking that went into it. And so I, I think because of that, there are decisions that I've made that initially seem quite bizarre. Case in point, the MegaNobs and all the discussions we had in Serbia about that. But by the same token, it's not something that I've just done by randomly picking units out of a hat. Equally, I haven't like left the mech guns at home because I just didn't want to spend $74 times 18 on mech guns. That's how many Australian dollars they are, by the way. <laughs> it's heinous. It's actually heinous. Don't
0: they uh, just make all their, their units out of like cardboard and stuff anyway?
2: There was actually a guy who was going to build 18 of them from old like toy howitzers from like Toys R Us. It no, was going to be hilarious.
0: I was at an RTT just the other day and one of the guys there had like a bunch of smash of guns and they were literally
2: G.I. Joe tanks. Just scrape. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, I think. Again, um, just recapping to what John said as well is because mech guns are so static, I, it's also not something I personally enjoy as a player. I don't. I like to be able to, even playing a defensive sort of list like this, I like to try and dictate the flow of the game. It's hard in some matchups, especially against like GSC and Demons and a few others, but I like to be able to dictate the flow of the game. And I found having not so much a point sink, but a a damage sink in my army of units that couldn't really move, I actually found it really, really frustrating because I was like in a hammer and anvil deployment or or dawn of war deployment. Wherever I put the mech gun, even if I can get a couple of them to shoot, I'm never going to get all of them to shoot one target. So my opponent was constantly being able to move around them, use LOS blockers, wrap me in combat, do a couple of other things that meant that I lost control of the game. Now, it's quite likely that other players who have a lot more experience using them, especially in tandem with boys, have found that that works very, very well. For me personally, I found it was more of a hindrance than a help in a lot of my games.
3: Tell me if this is wrong. It occurs to me that just in thinking about the traditional orc list, Um, the smash against probably work better when you've got 120 boys screaming across the table because you're sort of threat overloading in some ways. You you just have like, you're you're presenting a different kind of problem than your list presents. Your list presents a problem of, Hey, I'm going to outshoot you and I'm going to park these mega knobs in places where I can project force in a way to get to you. If you come closer to me, whereas a regular boys list is like, okay, Hey, I've got 120 boys kind of coming down the pipe. So these these static uh, gun emplacements that are sitting here. Well, they're still kind of threatening too, but you don't really have the tools to deal with the boys and them at the same time. Does that.
2: In my sense? Yeah. And I think that when I, when I look at a lot of those traditional orc armies as well, I sort of found, I sort of find that um, they have, you know, overwhelming force, which is very, very orky. Everyone loves to run across the table and yell, at the top of their lungs. No, but no one I, loves that. Yeah, yeah, they do. It's very Australian. You got to wear an akubra <laughs> when you do it. What Fair. the hell's in a akubra? It's like a hat. I'll send you a picture. It's okay. It's like a when you when you think of like Crocodile Dundee, his hat. That's what that is. Oh, okay. Anyway, so I find a lot of those traditional orc armies. They have such you know extreme uh, force, but it's not as it, it's not flexible enough to just adapt to very simple problem, which was very frustrating. So, John, you you mentioned uh, Paladin unit. How much, and Nick again, you you told me if I'm sort of just barking up the wrong tree here, but do you think that a standard, in inverted commas, Orc Army is going to kind of stress out a little bit at 10 Paladins using whatever the hell the out-of-line-of-sight shooting power is? Astral Um, Aim. Astral Aim, thank you. And Gate of Infinity to the middle of the table. Out-of-line-of-sight from all the Mech Guns. Mech Guns can't see them. How are they going to respond to that turn one? You can't really charge them, because especially now with shock assault, the Paladins will just shift 30 boys like it's going out of fashion, especially if they've got Drago or a captain or something. You can't shoot them, because if you to jump your shock attack gun across the table, and they've got, for example, the four-up or even three-up invo, it's not going to do anything. And your the guns are now completely, um, completely useless. And then they're just going to shoot you all game and hold the middle of the table. You're not going to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the Paladins with versus like a traditional Orc army, just blasting 40 storm builder shots a turn from of sight, kind of a hard counter to the Orc army. You can't charge it to a bunch of 2-up saves. They'll just kill you. Um, you can't shoot it because you can't see it. And you're picking up 30 boys or 40 grots a turn. That's been my
3: experience. But I mean... like, It's one of the few I, matchups I feel comfortable in playing my GK is the Orc matchup because a lot of times I can avoid... You know, the, the smash of guns, because you have to, because you can't take that fire as a an overcosted, you know, low model count army. Like <laughs> you just can't take it. But <laughs> uh you but w- what you can do, like you said, is um you know, take over a ruin in the middle of the board and uh just you just kill boys like it's like it's your job. Like that's paladins are actually are uniquely equipped for just killing boys because they just have so many shots. And then, like you said, you can't really charge them. Like, I don't know how many times I've been charged by boys and they're like, kill two paladins. You're like, cool, I'll kill the rest of your boys. Thanks. You know, that's, that's kind of how that goes. So.
2: And I think that, you know, uh, yeah, um, paladins or Grey Knights in general are, are an extreme example and not, uh, not a very common example either. But there are plenty of other examples of things that I found, I guess, I was playing against that just bothered me too much to have too too much of my shooting damage and melee damage in horde clearing and static units. For example, um, Custody Bikes. I found a lot of lists, especially with the mobility of bikes, were able to throw a huge number of them into a big central ruin or ruin off to the side. Custody Bikes shred boys like it's going out of fashion and then move over them to wrap the mech guns. Um, I found that units that had, uh, for example, even Demons, I found a lot of the times when I'm playing against people um, using uh, Pink Horrors to clear boys and then blood letters to come in later, were able to use the Fight Twice stratagem to get to the mech guns and wrap them, and then it's functionally game over. I found that gene steel Cult armies with um, Flamer Bomb would clear boys and then drop in with Rock Swords and get to the mech guns and wrap them. And uh, you're seeing sort of like a, a recurring theme here that I found that when your shooting is so static and unrecoverable and your melee units are so light, for example, as Orc boys are, I found too many matchups actually became more stressful than I thought they needed to be when the Codex had different options. It may be weaker in other, op- in other games. Yeah, sure. I-, I can't clear Hordes like other Orc armies can. But equally, I don't need to clear them when you can make walls of mega knobs that Horde armies can't shift.
0: Yep, makes total sense. Um, So there's one more question I had before we hop over to part two. Is there anything you would do for your list to change it for the format? I I mean, I know you touched on hiding 90 grats to avoid giving up kill points, but especially that's not easiest thing to do or most reliable thing to do. And like you definitely give up kill more and ITC or things like that, or butcher's bill quite often. So how do you cope with those types of things? And was there anything you would do for a different format?
2: Yeah. So I uh, 100%, um, to you know, be completely transparent, my list is designed for the ETC format. That's what I built it for. Um, that's like I've played it, obviously, at team tournaments in that format, and it's designed in that way because you don't specifically suffer such a penalty for living, uh, losing Killmore, and you're also not punished as much, for example, for giving up Reaper and Butcher's Bill. So I, I admit those are definitely problems um, in the ITC format. One thing that I probably would change if I was going to play it um, for uh, the ITC format is probably shift um, some of the points, I guess, away from... I- I'm actually probably going to drop the looters, and I know that sounds a bit bit bizarre, but I'm probably going to end up dropping the looters for um, uh, some of the other units that I also see kind of underutilized in the orc Codex. Sort of give me a little bit more... Uh, okay. mobility around the table. Uh, trucks. I actually really like trucks. I, oh, I actually like trucks. trucks. You can't let me hanging like that. No, no I, I actually really, really love trucks for, for a couple of different reasons because I find that in the ITC format, and again, you'll have far, far more experience than me at playing ITC. But in the ITC format, I find that because of the importance of kill one every turn and kill something, I found that people would often reach for units that were easier to kill just to achieve that result obviously. So what I have done in a few playtesting games is running just small units of boys or even little units of Gretchen in trucks. means that people will, for example, shoot them, kill the truck, and then you'll have another unit that's still there. So regardless of the quality or regardless of the quantity of shooting, if it's from a single unit, it actually cannot shift both. Playing against uh, Knights, Eldar, a number of other units that have very, very strong Strong shooting from a single unit. I'm looking at Dark Reapers, for example, and other units. Um, I found that by killing a truck and having another unit that was left behind sort of allowed... It really messes with my opponent's target priority and also having such a cheap vehicle that can just sort of fly across the table. I like them with a War Trike as well. Then you can move them a sh- like 13 plus D6 plus 1 and then charge 2D6 plus 1. You can actually just throw the trucks across the table and just use them as distraction card kind of effects, which bothers people far too much. You only take... Two or three of them to kind of make Big Game Hunter um, a, a bit of like a, a tantalizing choice I guess, but it's not, you're never going to get four from it um, yeah. other than that to be perfectly honest Nick and John I'm probably going to play a very similar list for um, a couple of big ITC events coming up here in Australia and the main reason why I'm going to play the similar list is just because I'm practiced with it is the main, is the main honest answer
3: do the, do the trucks also give you like Um, a way to manage your drops so that you can, uh, like in, and I'm thinking about traditional ITC, you can get to less drops than your opponent. So, I mean, you have the option of getting that plus one to go first.
2: Yeah. And also one cool thing about the trucks as well is that in very, very important matchups, namely with our Marines. Now in the advent of Eliminators, I find that the, the trucks will allow me to hide key important characters that I might actually lose if I go second. I mean, uh, yeah, I've definitely nine al- a
0: single truck for similar reasons, but multiple is pretty clever, especially for the reason
2: you listed. I liked it. Yeah, and I also find that, considering how cheap trucks actually are, think about having just a single truck with 10 Gretchen inside it. You, that, I think, clocks in at less than 100 points from memory. And you have to kill it twice. Regardless of the the absolutely garbage nature of the units inside. The fact is, is that if you have a knight, crusader or whatever, looking at a truck and it's 20 inches away, even if you're out in the open, it cannot shift the Gretchen and the truck. Just as the game is designed, it cannot do both. So you move it onto an objective in ITC out in the open for the bonus, for example. The knight shoots it, it kills the truck, whoop-dee-doo, you've still got Gretchen there, and so I'm not going to lose that objective, I'm not going to lose hold more. It makes you have to deal with something for more than you'd probably like to. Nobody wants to commit like two nights to killing a truck and 10 Gretchen. Nobody wants to do that.
0: It's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I'll have to think about yeah, that. Yeah, I like it. Um, usually yeah. I would recommend, or not recommend, but usually I would attempt to solve the, the Kilmore problem and that kind of stuff by just taking a larger grot squad. Because like you said, truck and 10 grouts about 100 points, a little less. 30 grouts, 90 points. One knight physically can't kill 30 grats the same exact way because it simply just doesn't have 30 shots. So, again, same principle, but instead of having two units in a truck, which you can use for uh, character protection, drop manipulation, bumping into stuff, all the uses for a truck, you have a large unit of the which makes an excellent screen for jumping stuff with or move blocking or obsecking multiple objectives while wrapping something. It's two functionally very different units three technically two but they're both they both solve serve a similar list function in that they deny the killmore point or the butcher's bill point really effectively
2: one thing as well and just to be the the devil's advocate i guess um you mentioned as well that hiding 90 grots is not always something you can do but i I think obviously obviously not you you can't always do that but i think in the overwhelming majority of my games i've honestly been able to do that So when I'm sort of playing, and when I played ITC at um, CanCon, uh, Don, I think that was one of my stream games as well that you may have watched. Yep. Um, In that game, obviously that game's a bad example because I was playing against Demons from memory, but um, in pretty much every game at CanCon, which was ITC, I did that cost-benefit analysis in my head and realized that having the Gretchen was actually going to be a liability because people would be able to just shoot them for... Butchers Bill, Reaper, and Kilmore. So people often pick those secondaries, but then once they did that, I prioritised hiding the Gretchen simply as a denial point. I found in actually, I can't really think of any of my games where I wasn't able to hide sixty plus Gretchen because they're absolutely tiny. Like you can really, if you have a decent L-shaped ruin, I reckon I can fit if they're all base to base fifty or sixty of them just in that L there. And if it's got multiple floors, I can fit more of them. I've never really struggled to hide that many Gretchen, to be honest with you.
0: Interesting, yeah. So almost you're trying to just knock it up any kills at all at that point, or as few as possible, of course.
2: Yeah, and I think one thing that um, this army, again, and this is sort of talking about why I prioritize taking certain units. If you take out the Gretchen, just for argument's sake, so you literally have two units of Meganobs, my tank busters, and my Looters, Those are really the units that you can kill. I'm functionally playing aspect warrior or I've got small elite units that fulfill specific examples, small by orc standard. I mean like 10 man squads and 15 man squads. Yeah. Because of, because of that, if I'm able to actually hide the Gretchen, which I really think I can do in the overwhelming majority of games, of course, Adelina's shooting becomes a problem, but in a lot of matchups, if you're just fighting me, and I'm just fighting you with my elite unit, I actually often do get kill more. I often don't give up the Reaper points. I often don't give up the Butcher's Bill points because people have to deal with these more elite Orc units as opposed to the Big Horde units. I think that, obviously, a lot of my playstyle with this army is terrain-dependent, but I find that the better events I go to and the bigger events I go to, I find terrain to be, at least here in Australia, to be quite consistent uh, and quite similar at a lot of different events.
3: Yeah, it makes sense. I, actually, I love the idea of um, you're really leaning into the infantry keyword, right? Oh, absolutely. Because you can go into ruins, yeah, which is great. It just gives your list, again, more flexibility, more ability to play on any table. Um, obviously, your list is less powerful on Planet Bowling Ball, but as <laughs> you say, most events are trying to get away from that, right? Like, we're we're in the process of all the TOs, at least across the United States, are leveling up and, and just getting better at having more impactful terrain on the board. So um, being able to lean into that is, is really, really strong for your list, I think.
2: Yeah, and I think as well, um, Nick, when you're talking about you know ITC secondaries and whatnot, if you can deny people, is obviously one of the main ways of, I guess, doing well in ITC is that when your opponent picks secondaries adjusting how you play according to the secondaries. I think it's very important. But I think that um, when people, for example, when I come up against people and they pick um, Butchers, Bill, and Reaper, which is almost the majority of my opponents seem to pick that, or uh, Marked for Death is another thing on the four important units. But if you pick Butchers, Bill, and Reaper, and I am actually able to hide 70, 80 Gretchen, then even if the game's going incredibly well for you, and you've been able to shift all my mega knobs, my tankbusters, and my looters, you actually haven't achieved many secondary points. There were many games that I played in bad matchups where just because I could actually... Bait people is the wrong word because I don't like it. But if people pick those secondaries and I can respond by hiding the Gretchen, it's actually a really bad time for them. They've picked secondaries they think they can achieve when they actually can't. That's a
0: that makes a really s- a lot of sense you know own like like you said bait's not the right word, but you'll you'll you you deceive people i guess with your list into thinking that they can accomplish these secondaries when realistically it's harder than it looks
3: yeah, well, also people probably don't have experience playing against your list unless they've played against you because it's just not a common orc build right so and they're they I don't know like I sit down, I look at somebody's list, I try to digest what it is, and I'm a newer player, so I'm not great at this um but more often than not, I have general impressions. Like every time I play orcs, I'm like, Oh, okay. I almost always take Reaper and, and sometimes butchers bill depending on the size of the units, but Reaper is almost an automatic against orcs. Right. But in this case, against your list, not so much (laughs) because they might only kill 40 models or 50 models. Um,
2: Yeah. And and I'm not really sure what I guess just there probably isn't like a standard tournament table. Like, when you say that term, uh, something does come to my mind because of my experience and what I play test on. But, you know, obviously depending on where the event is and who's running it, the tables are either going to be dense, light, somewhere in between, or a variation thereof, just depending on the TO. But I also find that regardless of what I'm playing on, I have... More so as time goes on, I have things to interact with. Terrain is very, very important with this list. And I, I'm not lying about that at all that at all. And that's why Nick, going right back to pretty much what I built this army for, it's a team format. It's designed to be a list that because it's got because it's unusual and it has more good matchups, I think, than standard orc lists. Like it has fewer reds or terrible matchups. I can be put forward in a team format and then I get to pick the table. So at the ATC here in Australia, um, and even at ETC, I picked my table in almost every single one of my matchups. So I looked at a table and I picked the crazily dense tables. I picked a really dense table, for example, against Italy's Orcs. His mech guns shot me zero times. I hid all 90 Gretchen, I hit everything, and then I only came out when I was going to shoot at units that I knew I could kill so he couldn't retaliate or wrap units in his army with Meganobs. And I did this repeatedly in singles against tower armies and so on and so forth, because this list, I think, capitalizes on something that the 40K community is doing a bit at the moment, and it's building reasonably dense tables to stop people feeling bad, looking down the table at Three iron hands Republic. And this army really sort of thrives in that environment.
3: Very cool. <clears throat> well, I, I don't think I have any other questions other than... Just to point out that, uh, as with all of these stupid podcasts, now I'm thinking about I kind of want to play orcs. Like, you presented orcs in a way where I don't have to paint 120 boys, (laughs) and so that makes it way more appealing. (laughs) So I
0: appreciate that. You can tell you put the time in with this lesson, really thought through all the decision points and when you're designing it, which is really cool. But, yeah, let's catch up in part two, where we talk about some matchups and uh, how you approach those. So we'll see.
3: Well, Where can people find you? Do you have any like uh, uh, places, like like you mentioned before, where you podcast? Where can people learn more about what you do and get your insights?
2: Um, well, I now, um, I now run a bit of a club here in Australia called Godhammer Gaming. Um, I started running it with uh, Eric when Eric um, sort of taken a bit of a step back from that. Um, so that's sort of our club where we, we try and post sort of uh, tournaments we're going to and how we're going to play certain games and whatnot. At least that's the plan. I also do a bit more of a podcast on the friendlier side of things um, called The Normal Blokes. Um, That's a podcast from Australia um, with a guy called Denise, another guy called Luke, another guy called Jordan, a couple of locals from around Brisbane, um, people who go to a lot of tournaments and represent competitive 40K really well. Um, We often on that podcast talk about uh, list design and things like that. And that'd be another medium for people to, to catch up with some stuff that I'm doing as well.
0: Great. Well, check those out, guys. Um, you're listening to Art of War. This was episode one, or part one, with Liam Hackett and this orc army. Uh, if you aren't a patron, please become a patron and check us out on part two, where we talk about Liam and all his matchups. Thanks, guys. Boop.
1: Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K. Com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. Connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.